Many years ago, when I first got into the ministry, a person said to me, you know, your congregation has to suffer through whatever you go through. And I said, what? And they said, yeah, you preach your sermons out of your devotions. And I was like, I do not. Well, this week I am. The uh, and, and that's cool. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Um, I was having my devotions. I don't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. And I was reading in a book that most people skip through. It's Leviticus. It's a bunch of rules. It's boring. It's hard to read because it's like, oh, this book. But I still, I do read every word. Every single word. I don't necessarily get a whole lot out of them, but I do read every word. But this week, as I was reading, there came about a point where I just had a question about something that I read. And then I started opening up my commentaries and my resources about this particular passage of scripture. And it was like an hour long thing of God just taking me on this really cool journey. And unfortunately, I don't have the ability to recreate that for you, but I can at least share with you some of the insights that I learned as God took me through this and as I've been mulling over it and chewing on it for the remainder of this week. And so that's what I want to do this morning is just walk us through this devotional time that I had this week. Um, I hate it when pastors take, make you jump back and forth and back and forth throughout the Bible, but that's what we're going to be doing this morning because that's what God did with me this week. So if you will, first of all, turn to Leviticus chapter 8. It is, as I said, one of the sets of rules and regulations out of the book, but there's some really cool things here. So we're first just going to look at Leviticus chapter 8, the verse, first five verses. It's This is the story or the, the, uh, the process that God set up for ordination of priests in the nation of Israel during the time of Moses and the time of the Exodus. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the tent, excuse me, at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. So the very first thing that I needed to do to to, to get into this and to understand it was, what in the world was that litany of things that Moses was commanded to bring to the tent of meeting. Well, he was supposed to bring the guys that were going to be priests, Aaron, who was going to be the high priest, and his sons, who were going to be the servants underneath him. And then they were to have the garments. And if we if we were to go back and look, you would see through the book of Exodus all of the different garments that had to be created. Well, there's the turban with the little gold plate. There's the, bre- the breastplate with the stones all over it. There's the, um, u- uh, the urim and the thummim. There is the robe that has the pomegranates and the bells at the bottom. There's just this and this and then the sash and all of these things that the high priest had to wear and then all of the linen clothes that all of the priests had to wear. Well, all of those have been crafted. And now Moses, for the very first time, is having the people put them on. 
In addition to that, there is uh, anointing oil, a bull and two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. And basically what, what the process was, was that Moses had to take Aaron and his sons, and they all had to take a bath. And then once they finished taking a bath, they got dressed in these holy clothes. And then he anointed them with the oil. And then they sacrificed the bull. And the bull was a sin offering. So that their sins, these Aaron and his, and his sons, their sins could be forgiven. And there was a process of how that had to take place. And then there was the, uh, another offering of a ram. And then there was finally a third offering, a third offering, which was a second offering of the ram. And that second offering of a ram was called the ordination sacrifice. And in that ordination sacrifice, there was a specific thing that Moses did with that sacrifice, which we're going to look at in just a second. And then finally, then there was this offering of bread or the, the, the grain offering. And again, that was just burned on the altar as an aroma pleasing to God. And then if you read on further into this, they had to stay at the place that they were at, which was the entrance to the tabernacle for seven whole days. They were not allowed to leave that place. And in my mind, they had to, well, if you read through it, you'll understand. They were actually rehearsing over and over and over the process of their ritual, of their sacrifice. They were learning their their trade so that they could begin the daily offerings of sacrifices um, for sins and for, for honoring God and for fellowship and all of those different sacrifices that were listed. That's what they were doing those seven days. They were, they were consecrating themselves. They were learning their craft. They were being ordained into the ministry that God had called them to. But the very first thing that struck me after reading that litany of things was this verse five where it said, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. This wasn't Moses' idea. This wasn't, let's put together a church or a religion so we can do stuff that makes it seem holy. But literally, God said, you want to have a relationship with me? You want to have uh, me as your God? This is how you will worship me. These are the ways that I expect you to come to me. And we know from our side of Christ's story that This was prior to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. And so what that means for us was, I mean, for them was that they didn't have Christ's atonement. They had to come every single time they committed a sin. Every single time that anything went wrong in their life, they had to come and bring an offering saying, God, please forgive me. And the people who administered or who processed that sacrifice were the priests. And so these priests were the ones that stood before God and between God and the people. And so this ordination was commanded by God. And this is how you will do this ordination every time a new person is ordained as a priest. This is what you will do. And so if we look into this, if you go down to chapter 8, verse 22, it says, Then he, Moses, presented the other ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. And then Moses killed it. And he took some of its blood and he put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. 
And then he presented Aaron's sons and Moses put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the big toes of their right feet. And Moses threw the blood against the sides of the altar. And then he goes on. And I stopped there in my devotions and I was like, that's weird. Number one, I'm glad they didn't do that when I was ordained. But what in the world does that mean? It's got to symbolize something. I mean, there's there's a reason for that. I mean, that's too specific. But it doesn't say it right here. It just says that God commanded it and they did it. So I was like, okay, well, I pull out my commentaries and see if anybody else can give me some insight because I've never heard anything about why. So I studied and I learned. Um, there are many, including John Wesley, who have said that their best guess is that Aaron's ear, I'm quoting now a guy named Kaiser, Aaron's ear must ever be attentive to the word of God. That's why they anointed his ear. And his hand must ever be ready to do the work of God. So they anointed his right hand, which in the sim- symbology of, 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 of Eastern culture, the right hand was the symbol of strength. So he was ever ready to do the work of God. And by anointing his foot, he was ever alert to run in the service of the one who had called him. And those are nice words, but that's some guy's idea. I wanted to know why. Why? And there is nothing. No one knows why. It's it's the same thing like, why do we put the wise men in the nativity set? They weren't there in the scriptures. They were three years later. Why do we put a pink candle as the joy candle in our advent wreath? I don't know. It's what we do. Why did they put blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right great toe of the, of the priest that was being ordained? We don't know why. There may have been something that was very logical and reasonable to the people who were doing it, but it was never communicated down through the centuries. And so that information, if it ever existed, has been lost. We don't know why. So anything that you'll read about it is simply conjecture. Now, there is a um, another part of scripture that has this exact same anointing has nothing to do with the priesthood, and it's found in Leviticus chapter 14. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 14. And it's 14 verses 10 through 20. And I'm just going to quickly read through it. On the eighth day, he shall, the priest shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses the leper shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the tent, entrance of the tent of meeting. So we're still in the same place. The priests are at the tabernacle at the entrance. The leper has come who is now clean of his leprosy and he wants to be declared ritually and ceremonially clean. 
And they're at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it as a guilt offering, and along with a log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall kill the lamb in the place where they shall kill the sin offering, and the burnt offering in the place of the sanctuary. For the guilt offering, like the sin offering, belongs to the priest. It is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering. The priest shall put it on the lobe. Here we go. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the right ear the lobe of the right ear of the person to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on his big toe on his right foot. Then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it on the palm of his left hand, and dip his finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and sprinkle some oil on his his finger seven times before the Lord. And then some of the oil that remains in his hand, the priest shall put on the lobe of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the right thumb of the right hand of the big, and on the big toe of the right foot, on top of the blood of the guilt offering. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hands, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. And then the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. The priest shall offer the sin offering to make atonement for him to be cleansed of his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. So they anoint him with the blood and they anoint him with the oil on the right lobe of the ear, or the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the right and the great toe of the right foot. Why? We don't know. It's because that's what they did because God commanded it. But there was never anything written down to tell us. I could take you through the commentaries and they would all say the same thing. And it was the most aggravating and frustrating thing to me because I want an answer. And I can't get an answer definitively. But in my reading, there was something that God brought to me that just gripped my spirit. And it's what has held on, what I've held on to all week. And it's this. There is a, a passage of scripture. I mean, there's a, there's a quote that says, the daubing of the priests provides for their safe passage between the boundaries of the common and the holy. Now, we'll talk about that in just a second. But any person who is called to be a priest of God must go through this ordination process. We don't have to know and understand why We just have to know they must. It is commanded by God. So, to be a priest, you have to bring this offering and this offering and this offering and this offering. And when the offering takes place, they take some of the blood of this particular offering, the ordination offering, and they put it on your right ear, they put it on your right thumb, they put it on the great toe of your right foot. And that is part of what what ordains you to the priesthood. And then you work out your calling. You work out of that calling. And if you go further into the book of Leviticus in chapter 10, you'll see what their calling is. If you go to Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, it says this. You, the priests, are to distinguish between the holy and the common. Between the clean and the unclean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all of the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. It was the priest's job to declare someone clean. 
It was the priest's job to declare someone absolved for their sins. The priest wasn't doing the cleansing, nor was the priest absolving the sin. The priest was standing in the presence of the human being on behalf of the holy, being that in-between, declaring as if God's speaking through them, you are healed, you are cleansed, you are in right relationship again. So the priest's job was to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, And you are then to teach also, they are to teach the people of Israel all about the statutes of the Lord. In other words, God has specifically said, this is how you are to live before me and to have relationship with me. And it was the priest's job to make sure that the people of Israel knew those rules. Why do you think Mary and Joseph on the birth of Jesus, after Mary was cleansed from her, from her impurity uh, on the 30th day, went to the temple in Jerusalem with two doves? Because it was required in the law that any woman who gave birth after 30 days of the birth, she was to be declared clean by the priest from her impurity. And if they weren't able because of their financial situation to give a large animal, they were allowed to bring two doves. And it might have been, I think it even says they're allowed to bring two pigeons. It's doves or pigeons. And so the reality was they were following the law of Moses when they did that. How did they know to do that? They had been taught that by their rabbi. Who had been taught that by their by his rabbi or by the priests. So basically the whole thing was the nation of Israel had to know how to live because the priest's job was to instruct them and make sure that they knew how to live. And if you wanted to offer a sacrifice, this is what you had to do. And if you didn't meet that requirement, then the priest had the authority to say, ah, sorry, this one's not good enough. Take it away. That was the role and function of the priest. And this is something that I read in one of the commentaries. And it just, again, just spoke to me. The priests are the members of the community who live in a zone which is framed by the holy and the common. Okay, so the priests are kind of, they've got both, they've got a foot in each side, if you will. They are the ones that are allowed to walk into the holy of holies, well, the holy, and then the high priest goes into the holy of holies. But they are also the ones that are standing at the entrance to the tent, interacting with the common. Okay, and if you go back to the to the to the placement and the the laying layout of the tabernacle, actually the common comes into that opening, that first entry entry area of the temple. But the point that I'm saying is that this the priests were they weren't a barrier; they were kind of a I don't know how to describe it. It was like it was like it was where all of that cool stuff took place between the inter, the relationship, if you will, between the the common people and the holy God. And that was their function. They were to be a conduit, if you will, of the holy to the people and for the people to have access to to God. And it said, one of the commentators that I read said, at every step of their journey, they are charged with the safe, with safeguarding the people. Hear this, with safeguarding the people from the hazards of the holy while ensuring the right and constructive connection with a holy God is always attainable. What in the world is the hazards of the holy? 
Well, if I were to say to you the names Nadab and Abihu, do you know who I'm talking about? Nadab and Abihu were the two sons of Aaron who died instantaneously because they didn't offer appropriate sacrifice. They just grabbed an incense and took fire and started offering incense, I mean, fire before the Lord. But it wasn't in accordance with anything that God had ordered. They were imitating things that they had seen in other religions. And God, the Holy Spirit, went, just like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, Nadab and Abihu dropped. It said a fire from heaven came and consumed them, scorched their bodies, killed them instantly. And then it said that Moses turned to Aaron and his remaining sons and he said, don't you mourn. You let the people of Israel mourn because your role as priests will does not allow you while you're serving as a priest to tear your clothes or to pull out your hair or your beard. You let us mourn their death. You continue in your, your holy function as priests before God. Can you imagine? But because Nadab and Abihu, who were priests of God, offered unholy fire before God and the people, they didn't follow the rules. The fire of God came out and killed them instantly. Unacceptable. I'm not receiving that. You're dead. And so that's what this commentator was saying was, the step of every step of the journey of the priests, they are charged with the safeguarding of the people from the hazards of the holy. Not taking any chances that they would be rejected by God by making sure that they told the people how to live and then did it and lived it out before them the right way. Being a right and constructive connection. I mean, ensuring that a right and constructive connection with the Holy God is always available and attainable. To me, that was just, that's amazing. I mean, what an incredible privilege, what an incredible honor to be called out to be a priest of God. But that's Old Testament stuff. We're New Testament people. Now let's bring it into us and who we are. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn back to, to chapter 2 verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the imagery of a priest before God is brought into the New Testament by Peter through these verses. If you look at verse chapter 9, verses 11 and 12... Peter wrote, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's a holiness message right there. You as the royal priesthood, as the holy priesthood of God in this area, in this vernacular, right here and right now, it is your job, according to verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. It is your job, according to verses 11 and 12, to keep yourself from, from succumbing to the passions of the flesh, which are waging war against your soul, and to conduct yourself out in the world honorably. So that when they say bad things about you, they're actually going to see your good deeds and glorify God. So this idea of priesthood comes into my world. And if you, if you do any studying at all of the Christian heritage, Martin Luther used or framed the idea of the priesthood of believers. Where we no longer need to have a man or a woman stand in our stead between us and God. We now have the right and authority to go into the presence of the, the Almighty One. If you remember in the story of Christ's crucifixion, it says that at the time of his crucifixion, when he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, the, the word of God tells us that an earthquake took place, and that the, 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 the veil of cloth that was between the holy and the holy of holies tore from the top down. It tore and it opened up access to God's presence for all of humanity because of what Christ did on the cross. So what Peter is reminding the people is you no longer have to have a priest who will stand before God and be in that 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 space between the holy and the common and and be a conduit for you of God's holiness. You now have full access to walk straight up into the holy of God and say, I'm here. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to love you. I'm here to worship you in my own stead. However... There is nothing in any of this that I see that says the rules of the game have changed. You can't just come to God the way you want to come to God. You come to the God the way God says you will come to God. There's a scripture on the screen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus speaking in John chapter 14 verse 6. The world today will tell you, oh, there are many avenues and paths to God. That's not the case. There is only one way to have right relationship with God, and that is through Jesus Christ, period. But once you have that right relationship with Jesus Christ, and once you are now a quote-unquote priest, if you will, in this royal priesthood, in this holy priesthood, whose job it is to offer up spiritual sacrifices, whose job it is is to abstain from all of the passions of the flesh, whose job it is to live in such a way before the common, before the world, so that then they see you, even if they try to, to call you down, they, they'll have nothing to stand on because they'll see you and glorify, see your works and glorify God for what they see in you. That's how we're supposed to live. What specifically, and this is, this is something that I came across that I was just it just spoke, again, volumes to me. There are specifically four jobs, if you will, of this royal priesthood. I just want to go quickly through them. We're not even going to take time to read the scripture passages. I'll give you the references so that you can write them down if you want to follow up later. The four jobs of the royal priesthood. Number one, we have the privilege of direct access to God. 
You can find this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 22. I'll repeat that. Ephesians 3, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 22. I don't need to belabor that. We've already talked about this. We have direct access to God. We don't need anyone to go between God and us. We have the privilege of spiritual sacrifice. We already talked about it. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. In addition to that, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, talks about us being living sacrifices. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. The idea being that we offer ourselves up. We ourselves are the sacrifice before God. What does that mean? That means I give up my right to my own way. It's this, again, talk about holiness and consecration and being a person that is completely yielded to the will of God. Now, what does that mean? It means I have to, (laughs) there's no more priest that's going to be up here to teach me. I have to educate myself on how I'm supposed to be living before God. Or at least as priests, one amongst each other, we should be teaching each other as iron sharpening iron. As, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we should be speaking in spiritual things about, about how we should be living our lives regularly. Whether that's in a Bible study or a Sunday school class or after church or sitting over at the coffee a shop or sitting across the table. At a, at, at, but there should be a, a continual process of teaching each other and speaking truth to each other so that we can learn what we are supposed to be doing to live this spiritual sacrifice. There's also, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, a responsibility for a prophetic role of the priest. It is my job as a priest, and I'm not talking about as an ordained minister, an ordained elder in the church of the Nazarene. I'm talking about in the same way that you're a priest before God, I'm a priest before God. It is my job to call out sin. It is my job to speak the truth to people. When, like you heard this morning with, with, with Becky giving her testimony about um, about the, the, the fact that God alone is the one that's able to make the aurora dance in the sky. And not only having that belief, but declaring it before unbelievers. And then having God prove God's self. And the end result we heard was somebody gave their heart to Christ and got baptized and is now serving Christ. Why? Because somebody spoke the truth to them. We have a responsibility for prophetic utterance. And I don't just mean, you know, one that you're not, oh, I don't know what I'm saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. I'm talking about where you just simply, you're acting as a prophet. You are the one who God has called out. You see the problem, you call it down. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want anybody to feel like I'm not being tolerant. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I, no, if you see something that's wrong, say something about it. Now, you don't have to be mean-spirited about it. But if somebody's doing something wrong, you can come alongside them and say, you know what? In Christ's love, I want to tell you that I'm seeing you make some choices that are just not right. And you may not appreciate what I say now, but you will eventually if you listen to it. And you need to get your act together. I mean, I did that once when I was in the military. Oh, my word, I was so scared. Because I'm in the military. I'm not supposed to be saying this kind of stuff on, jo- on my job. And I was the person's boss. And the person came in and sat at my pri- in my private office and came in and sat at my desk. And, oh, Sergeant Sugden, I don't know what to do. I've got blah, 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 telling me all about the problems in their life. And I, I said, hold on just a second. I got up from my desk and I walked around to the other side and I shut the door. 
And I came back and sat down. I said, you're not going to like the words I'm about to say, but I'm going to say them anyway. I said, you've sat here for the last 20 minutes telling me all about the problems of your life and why everything's so bad. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The reality is, if you would submit your life to Jesus Christ and confess your sins to him and get your life right with God, almost all of this would go away. And inside I'm going, oh God, I'm going to go to jail. (laughs) Honestly, I was so scared for saying those words because I was the person's boss and this was the military. It had no place there. But it was the truth that needed to be spoken. Now, the person didn't call me out. The person didn't, um, you know, go to my boss and say the person was trying, I was trying to proselyte her, blah, 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 blah. But the reality was I could have gotten in a lot of trouble for what I, for what I said. But I had to say it because it was the truth and the Holy Spirit of God was prompting me to say it. Now, I can't testify saying that this person gave their life to Christ and everything's wonderful and glorious now. But I know that I was speaking the truth when I was supposed to speak the truth. I was walking in the under the power of the Holy Spirit and I was doing what I was supposed to do. And I knew that I was called to say those words and I said them. So I walked with a clear conscience before God, whether they responded or not. And that's part of being a royal priesthood is that we have a responsibility to the common to be the conduit of the holy. And then finally, this leads into what I just said. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. We have a responsibility to be agents of that reconciliation. It is our job to be continually watching for opportunities to help people be reconciled to God. So what are the four jobs of this royal priesthood? First of all, we have direct access to God and we should never take advantage. I mean, should never uh, take it for granted. We have direct access to God. You should use it. Use that every single opportunity you have. Number two, we have the opportunity, the responsibility or the privilege of spiritual sacrifice. Every part of my life needs to be offered up as a sacrifice to God. We have a responsibility for the, to be for prophetic in our relationships and the way that we relate with other people. We need to speak truth. We need to point them to Christ. We need to help them to understand what the gospel says. It was the role of the priest in the nation of Israel during the time of Moses and following to teach them how they were to live before God if they wanted to have a relationship with God. It is our role now as the priests of God to help the common people the people who don't have relationship, to know what it means to serve a holy God. Because God didn't change the rules. It's not, I can go however I want as long as I'm living a good life. I was watching a movie last night, a Christmas movie. It was just this fun little light Christmas movie about this woman who gets hit by a bus and dies and gets to heaven and gets sent back to do a job because she hadn't gotten onto the list yet to get into heaven. So she had to go home down into to earth and figure out what it was that she needed to do to get on the list. I turned off that that trash. I was just so sick after watching 10 or 15 minutes. I was like, this is just disgusting. Because I was trying for the first few minutes to go, well, it's it's a secular show and it's lighthearted and it's fun. But I was like, no, this is this is a lie from the pit of hell. And I'm sitting here bringing it into my house. And I turned it off. And then finally... It is our responsibility to continually be looking for ways to help others be reconciled. Not just to speak truth to them, but to be to walk every day looking for the opportunity 
to reach out, hold out the hand and say, would you give Jesus a chance? Would you try? Give him the opportunity to show who he is? I never knew that I could find such rich depth in the book of Leviticus. But God took me on a really cool journey this week. And I hope some of it will help you this week. It's not much of a Christmas message, but it is a Christmas message. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. Everyone has that opportunity, and all we have to do is speak that truth to the people around us. It's up to the Holy Spirit to, con- to convince them. So, you got 32 days left in this season of Christmas where people are open to the story. Start speaking that truth to their world. Be that person to offer the hand of reconciliation. Be the prophet. Live sacrificially. And stand in that area framed by the holy and the common. For those who don't have access right now, be that for them. The one thing I didn't say in all of this, and I wish I had, but I didn't, was part of the role is also to be an intercessor. To stand in the gap for those who just don't know how to pray. To lift up their needs before the Father. Let's pray. God, I love you with all of my heart. I praise you and I thank you for blessing us with your word and giving us your word. Help us, Father, especially in this season, to walk in it and to honor you with all of our, all of our being, with everything that we have, Lord. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you. Go in his peace.